Welcome back to the You Can Too podcast. I can't express how excited I am for this podcast. For the past couple of days, I've just been getting excited to hop on with Jay Klaus here. Jay Klaus, if you guys are not aware who he is, he is the host of Creative Elements. He is the person that's writing creator science. He has the creator lab. Like he's doing so much right now, guys. He's helping people become professional creators. Started off in startup, then went to freelancing. Now he's a creator today. And for those who may not be aware of who you are, Jay Klaus, can you give us a little bit of a brief overview outside of what I just kind of went over? You pretty much covered it. Um, I'm a creator and I'm trying to help people become smarter, more professional creators, meaning that anybody who's doing this content game, we put a lot of time and effort into what we do and I want people to be financially rewarded for that. And so I try to help them get to that point more quickly through the newsletter, Creator Science, through the podcast, Creative Elements, uh, the YouTube channel, which is kind of a merger of the both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the jam. Awesome. So I started off in, to give a little bit of context, why it's so impactful for you to come on the show is I started off as a coach. And so starting off as a coach and then hopping onto social media, I was not a person to post content, found creative elements. And I've li probably listened to every single episode since that time. And you do an amazing job at being able to adapt so well, because I know you started in audio and then you went to um, video and you did it so like ins insanely well. Now you're on YouTube and you're doing amazing at that as well. I'm curious to even start this off. How are you able to do that so quickly? Well, publicly it looked quick, but you know, our <laughs> right. first, our first video episode aired in mid July of last year, 2022. And we probably started doing work on the video show in like, I don't know, March, maybe uh, it might've been more like April, but it was months of like, leading up to that first episode in video and it wasn't ready until like the day before. So it was, it was a lot of work on the back end, um, to get that, to look good and be seamless. But that's, that's like, that's what we're doing here is we're trying to continuously level up the, the quality of work that we're putting out there. Mm -hmm. And I take a lot of pride in the, the design and the experience of the things that I do. Yeah. So like, I want, you to have that experience and feel that <laughs> way. But trust me, like I go through the same challenges and, uh, it's, it was a lot of work, uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And it definitely, definitely shows throughout that. And I know that when you were at Ohio state and journalism was, was what you were going through. I know that that taught you a lot about deadlines throughout that period, but I know that as being a creator, it's a lot more difficult to create deadlines when you're really the one holding yourself accountable. I'm curious how you've been able to adapt to that as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, journalism taught me a lot about deadlines because I mean, I don't know if your, your listeners pick up like a print anything anymore. I really don't. So like if, if you go back to the world, which still exists, but most of us aren't living in where there's print newspapers and print magazines, yep. when you're a journalist, you have a deadline for delivering your story to your editor mm -hmm. because it had to get edited and then it would be manually placed on where it would be printed in paper, which had to be done in order for the paper to go out the next morning. So deadlines were just non-negotiable because yeah. if you didn't hit your deadline, then there was a hole, a literal hole in the paper and you probably got fired. So the journalism program really taught me a lot about deadlines. And you're right. When you're out on your own, you need to develop some system that works for you. Yeah. What I have found is I don't like failing to deliver on some promise or expectation that I mm -hmm. make to anybody, including a group of anybody's that is an audience. So for me, anytime that I need to force myself to hit a deadline, I will publicly declare it so that at least in my mind, I think people are expecting it. And then yeah. that gives me everything I need to make sure that I hit it. Yeah, that's something that I found really has been really, really impactful for me. When I started my, I guess you could say, creator journey and be like posting online because I realized I had to do that when I became a coach. It was like the only thing I had control over was posting every single day. And that was like my way of being accountable. It was like, okay, if I don't show up, they're going to see something's not adding yeah. up. I talk so much about consistency. So from going from 10 cents to every tree planted to living on $24,200 a year to now making over $300 as a creator, 
What's been the most pivotal moment in your journey? Well, I would say that in 2017, that's pretty much when I took the leap to start writing a daily newsletter. And that was me yeah. like making my own deadline by declaring this. Right. And I just, I didn't know how I was going to make money. I just had trust that I could. And in June or July of that time period, I basically ran a group coaching program mm -hmm. and the math was pretty simple. Like I did the math to say, this is a 12 week program. It takes me a couple weeks to market it. That is three months and a little change of how much money I would need to survive. And if I charge this amount of money and I think I can get 15 people to join the program, then I'll be able to pay my bills. And I was able to sell, uh, I think I had, I had 15 total people in the program, but I think I sold for cash, like 12 of those spots and three of them, I did some sort of like in kind situation to make sure I had enough, uh, numbers, but that gave me a little over $10,000, which is what I needed for three months of living on the cost that I had then. And I remember I, I collected all the payments in PayPal because that's like the only way I had to process payments at the time. Right. And I let it all pool up in PayPal before I pulled any of it and uh, had PayPal literally send me a check. Instead of just transferring it, I wanted a check for <laughs> that first $10,000. Uh, and I still have that check. So, well, to deposit the check, they actually took the check. I was like, can I please keep the check? And they're like, no, but we can photocopy it and give you a copy. So I said, okay. So I still have the photocopy of the check um, somewhere. That was the biggest turning point because that was no longer theoretical. Oh, I think I can make enough money to survive on my own right. without a job or without like a, in my mind, quote unquote company. Right. And that was the evidence and what you need to continue to do anything to like believe in yourself and to reinforce whatever identity you hold for yourself. You need evidence. And that's what that was. hundred percent. And I want to get, I, I want to get into that in a minute, but from like, I want to get into your why and stuff, but knowing that you started with the group coaching program, how were you able to create a group coaching program? What were you doing prior that allowed you to have all of the, the evidence, the proof and all of the content for that group coaching program? So the coaching that I did was not, um, it was not like, there wasn't curriculum. There wasn't a process. Uh, it was more accurately described as a mastermind group mm. where people came in that had interesting projects and I matched them into small groups of five based on the nature of their work and the stage that they were in and uh, their availability and their vibe. And I was basically holding space to allow the group to provide positive feedback and support to help each individual really progress over a 12 week period of time. And really before that, I had been building my local network. Most of the people that joined that uh, 12 week program, even though it was all virtual, most of them were here in Columbus, Ohio, that I had met through uh, organizing local events like Startup Weekend, that I had met through other volunteer organizations, I had met through the entrepreneurship club that I did here. I thought that everyone in the program was going to be a startup founder because that was my background with startups. Yeah, But actually a lot of the people who joined were uh, freelancers, service providers. And that kind of changed the trajectory of my business because that was a, an assumption that I was wrong about and a different customer that I suddenly started learning about. And yeah, it was, it was mostly just facilitation and holding space and doing my best to, you know, provide useful, constructive feedback. But um, it was not... Some, some coaches have like really great programs that are very stepwise. They're very intentional, they're mm -hmm. very process oriented. I didn't have the life experience to do that. Even if I wanted to, right. Um, this was, this is a lot more, um, facilitation. Gotcha. Gotcha. I feel like that's something that I would probably do in my, in my journey. It's right now I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, but going into something that's group, it's like I'm 19. So I can't say I have all the experience, but I definitely have a whole lot of knowledge to put into something but being able to encapsulate that you do it an amazing way with the lab that you're doing and everything that you have going on. I mean, for over 10 years showing up, I'm curious, what has been your, your, your main driver outside of freedom? Cause I know that that was the, the main driver for you to be getting into it to begin with, but what is it and how has it changed over, over the years? I do have a point on like the age and experience thing, by the way, please, please. Um, do you want me to do that first? Or you want me to talk yeah, about go right ahead. First? Go right ahead. Well, I hear you say that. And I had a similar situation. Well, I, I did have like overblown confidence at the time. And, you know, I was 
26 okay. when I started doing this. But um, something happened in literally the first paid cohort of this. I had a guy join who his previous business was sold for $40 million. And he was 50-50 partner, no investment. They each got 50% of that sale price. Never had to work again a day in his life. And each of these programs I would sell, they had a couple of tiers. Like you could just have the group program mm -hmm. or you could do the group program plus bi-weekly one-on-ones with me, or you could do the group program plus weekly one-on-ones with me. He purchased the group program plus weekly one-on-ones with me. And I'm 26. I had one exit um, of a software company that was not near that size of exit. Felt yeah. very lucky that that happened. And I was just like, what am I going to do to help this guy? Like, what is, what does he want from me? And what I really learned, I think of it as, uh, ladders, mm -hmm. think of it like a row of ladders against the wall and each ladder represents some specific skill. People hire you because they see you as a rung or two ahead of them on one specific ladder. Yes. This guy was way ahead of me on so many other levels but he was hiring me to help him with one specific ladder. And that was mostly online existence. You know, like how do I start to find customers online, create content, attract people to me? Um, he saw me as better at that than him. And that's what I helped him with. But so often we, we kind of collapse all those ladders into one thing where we right. think, okay, I'm going to average all of our skills together and your average score is much higher than mine. So I don't feel worthy to do this. But yeah. as long as you are able to help somebody in one specific place, that's often what people are hiring you for. Um, so keep that in mind. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I, one of my first clients had a, a massive business um, and, and it was, there's a lot of imposter syndrome when I was first working with them because it was like that exact thought is like, what are you coming to me for? But at the same sense, it's, it's what I've learned from coaching. I think this is where the discrepancy comes through is what I was taught through coaching was it was all questions. It was more so like learning the art of coaching, not really learning the art of teaching as you do. And I know that your whole family's been a lot yeah. of teachers. So you kind of have that engraved into you, plus all of the work that you've done over the years. So being able to turn on that teacher mode and be able to teach and, and kind of have more of a structure for things is where I think my mind just puts it into a, a jungle. But I definitely, totally. definitely, definitely understand that. But to the why. Yeah. So... Out of college, I co-founded the software company and, you know, I was COO and we raised money and I communicated with our customers, our investors, I did all these things. And I got invited into a lot of different rooms because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember in college, I was part of the entrepreneurial organization. We had a speaker and he was like, you know, when you're able to put in your email signature, honestly, founder and or CEO of a thing, people will answer your emails. And I 100% saw that to be true. Um, you know, there's just in the world of employment, we have all these structures to make businesses work. Some of them being hierarchy. And even if you're not inside of a certain business, people will extrapolate this invisible hierarchy onto you based on certain heuristics and signals that they see. When I was a co-founder of a software company, I could email really anybody and they would read it and they would consider it. Mm. Once I became a um, product manager or an employee to another company, now those same people would read that email differently because of the heuristics that are there. Right. Long story to say, I got really frustrated that there were levels of access and opportunities and conversations and relationships that I just couldn't have if I was not working for myself or building something myself. Right. So my why has always been, I just want to have complete agency in this world over my time and the choices that I make, uh, the, the, the relationships that I form, the people I talk to. I want agency over that. I don't want to feel like I have to ask permission from an employer based on our employment contract for taking time off or doing certain things. I want to be able to just manage all of my time myself. 
That's my why. And I've, I've found, you know, external whys along the way. Um, I think honestly, like a lot of people, if we're honest, like we start with a, a, a selfish why before we start thinking about a selfless why. And I started with a selfish why I did. And, you know, along the way I found, okay, now that I've discovered this, I just love helping other people discover it. It's the best. And like, I, I find so much more energy when I'm around people who are making something out of like compulsion. Like I have to do this because I just yeah. really want to versus like, uh, someone told me I have to do this and I don't know how, can you help me? So my why is just helping other people realize the agency they have in this world and to create cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, th I believe that'd probably be a, an aspect of why after working with Pat Flynn, you realize like you're, you're building something here. You, there's something, there's something here to go through and then you, you went all in on it, right? Throughout your journey, what, what do you think has been the, what do you think has been the lesson that took you the longest to learn throughout your journey of being a creator or an entrepreneur even? I love that question. Let me, let me pause and reflect Please on do. that. Please do. All right. I've got two. One of them is you get things when you ask for them. Like the world's just not a meritocracy. Uh, the world really encourages and rewards boldness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from self-belief. You know, we see all these like major crazy stories like a Netflix series made after them, like uh, the dropout with Elizabeth Holmes or uh, the, the, we work founder or fire festival where these like crazy things happen and implode. And we're like, how could these people have ever gotten away with these, these things? Yeah. And the answer is they believed in themselves. They believed that they could in their circumstance that went badly, but every day there are people who with the same level of belief who are doing incredible things. And so I wish I would have learned sooner the power of just believing in myself and uh, a way of building that belief so that I could be more bold and ask for things that I wanted earlier and more often. Man, you're, I, I, I'm not sure if you know, but this podcast, the you can too podcast for that exact reason. Um, a lot, I think a lot of the reason that we, whether we don't get into entrepreneurship or as you know, you, your why is to create that freedom for yourself, right? So a lot of people want that but the lack of belief drives them to take less action and then not able to actually, you know, create that for themselves. So you saying that is, is, is so, so important, especially in, in a time where, you know, from me looking onto you. And as I said, your, your audio, your video, everything looks pristine, like everything's perfect. But I bet there was a time at, there was one point in time where you maybe didn't believe fully in yourself. What allowed you to, as you said earlier, create that proof to build that belief along the journey. It happens all the time and in, in big and small ways. You know, there was a time a few months ago where I raised the price on this thing that I was already selling successfully. And as yeah. soon as that price was raised, I have this feeling in the back of my head, like people aren't going to pay that. But like the, the rational part of me was able to chime in and said, they should, there's no reason that they shouldn't. And so I sat back, a sale came in, another sale came in, and now I have evidence, you know, I had already taken that action and I didn't have to like stop myself from doing it, but it's, it's constant. There's always moments of this might not work. Now I would say that I'm not super far down the line on like the woo woo scale of, of, um, interconnectedness and spirituality and whatever else, but there is something to be said about the, the energy that you hold, like when you don't believe in yourself, even if you're not explicitly saying that somehow it is seen and felt. And when I'm in a place where I don't have that belief in myself, I actually go quiet and I don't publish things until I'm able to talk myself out of that because mm -hmm. somehow it, it reinforces. Like when, when I don't believe that, then rarely does the evidence come through in the way that it needs to. I have to get to myself into a place of belief for there to become or like conjure evidence. <laughs> 100%. Do you think that there's any outside of creation? Because as I said earlier in this podcast, the for me, that was the same thing. It was like, I have to post every single day or I'm going to get out of the habit. I'm going to get out of the belief that I can do it. And it's just going to, it's going to spiral. Is there any habits or, or, or anything that you do that really puts you into that place of, uh, of that empowerment, I guess you could say? I try to get into places where 
things feel inevitable or non-negotiable? Because if something is inevitable or non-negotiable, then it's going to happen. And so I can have some belief. Uh, small examples are my newsletter publishes every Sunday and Tuesday because that's the way it is. It's inevitable. It's non-negotiable. It's going to happen somehow. Like it's just happened so many times in a row that it's effortless to maintain. And so the belief is innate in that. Um, I do find that when I'm lacking that feeling, often it's a chemical thing. Like it's, I haven't had enough water. I haven't had enough sleep. I haven't moved my body. Uh, I haven't had my caffeine, which I 100% have an addiction to at this point. So like there, there are things that I try to intervene and have the rational mind say, is this basically non-belief, like negative belief? Is this true? Or can I find evidence to the contrary? And if I can't see beyond it, is this just purely biological or chemical? Can I try to intervene by moving my location, moving my body in, in the form of exercise, drinking more water? Usually that'll take care of it. Uh, if that's not the case, sometimes you got to turn to other people that you know and trust, mentors, friends, peers, your wife. Uh, and that often helps too. Um, a lot of times I will get messages from my audience, from my, uh, my customers, just incredibly positive, effusive things yeah. that I can look at pretty objectively and be like, this isn't out of nowhere. And it's yeah, also it's not random. You know, this is pretty consistent. Like there's some evidence here from somebody else. And that, that usually helps me through it too, but it's, you know, it's, it's never a battle that's over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that the idea that we're always becoming is something that I, I really enforce a lot because there's never an end point to whether it's our, the work that we have to do in ourselves or the work that we have to do in our business, right? From at $24,200 a year, where was your internal mindset at that point? Did you have the belief that you still had or, or how were you able to kind of scale from there? No, I mean, no, it's, you never, you never know what you don't have until you have it. And then you can look back and see the Delta. So at the time, like, sure. I thought I was everything and I was fine and I knew everything I needed to know. Yeah. I'm looking back on it. Like I didn't know anything, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was trying, I was progressing. I was getting better. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's all a process. I don't think I even had the language to talk about the things I'm talking about now. Mm. It was, it was more day to day. You know, I think, I think as you get a little bit older, a little bit more wise, you have more perspective, you start to think in longer time horizons. Definitely. And at that stage, I wasn't really thinking beyond today, this week, next month, this customer service issue right in front of me. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a lot of perspective at the time. Got you. Yeah. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we, we always go through phases of our life and you were in a phase to where it's, it almost seems insurmountable to get to where you are today. I mean, it, from, from a perspective that is from going from 24,000 to over 300,000 and doing exactly what you want to be doing, it seems, what do you think has played the biggest role in your success? Consistency. Oh, I knew it. But it's, it's, it's not enough just to be consistent. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. People talk about consistency as if like just continued action is the solution, but you also need to do the hard intellectually honest work of saying, am I getting better? You have to consistently show up and consistently get better. That's when time plays in your favor. If you consistently show up, but you don't get any better, then you're just treading water, killing time, wasting time, really, because the magic of compounding isn't isolated to money and finance, like compounding exists in so many places, including, uh, personal growth, attention on your work, uh, audience size, like compounding is a magical, magical thing. And the sooner you are consistently improving, the sooner you'll see compounding play in your favor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned in 2022 was realizing that consistency means nothing without strategy. If you're not, it's like the, the idea, I don't know if it was Naval that said it, but it's not 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 iterations, right? It's like taking 
a much broader perspective on what you're doing, because no matter how consistent you are, if you're not consistent in the right way, it's not really going to matter too much. Do you think that, I mean, 10 years, what do you think over that time, time period, whether it's the biggest lesson you learned that has really impacted you in, in your creator, um, business, but also in your life as well. Do you think that they've kind of uh, aligned? Um, the world still runs on people. You know, it's, it's easy over the last six years, I've really embraced the artist side of myself, Yeah. which before that I had a limiting belief that I was not creative. I was not an artist. I thought art was something that was closed off to me because I didn't know how to draw. Um, I've really embraced the artist side of me. And as you see improvements and some signals of belief there, it's really tempting to just 100% focus on artistry, but the world still runs on people. Like when you start playing multiplayer games, things go faster, they get better. Often they're even more fun. So that's something that took me a while to learn. And it plays in a lot of ways. It could be hiring a team. It could be changing the, the cast of characters, your friends around you, it yeah. could be uh, a significant other. Uh, and often is like starting a serious relationship, getting engaged, getting married. That's probably one of the biggest points of leverage over the last couple of years. That's helped me improve my business. Like it's, it's so good in so many ways personally, which makes the professional stuff better. There are clear like financial benefits to being in a partnership. So, um, I've, I've played a single player game for too long. I really embraced like the, uh, solo operator, solopreneur world. Yeah. Uh, and I, I did that too purely. Like I thought that meant like everything, but you know, everything is how you define it and collaborating with other creators, uh, getting married, changing my friends, building peer groups, all of that is super impactful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, uh, one of my very close mentors would say that everything that you're looking for in life is on the other side of a relationship you haven't built yet. And I'm always mm -hmm. looking for like through this podcast, even is like, I'm connecting with some like you, for example, I've been wanting to connect with you for forever and having you on the podcast is like so huge, but it's just, we're, we're able to learn, we're able to iterate and we're able to take so many things from so many people. And from over 10 years of experience, I've been at it for almost two now. I'm curious what, at this point you've accomplished so much. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're at the point where you're continuously trying to scale or you're at a point where you're kind of like just enjoying what you're doing and also doing at the same time. But what do you feel at this point is your North star or what do you feel like success looks like for you moving forward? Selfishly, the selfish why I, I want to build that destination where if somebody says, I want to be a creator or yeah. I want to like build a life around my content, I want to be in the first breath of this is somebody or some brand thing to, to follow. That's really interesting to me, but I am starting to think a little bit differently in terms of my, my content strategy. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always believe that I would write books oh, and yeah. I haven't started that process. You know, the only way to be an author is to write a book. And if you think you're going to be an author, like do the activity and you'll, you'll be the identity. Why am I not doing that? So this year it's really important to me. And this is me stating it publicly, which again is a forcing mechanism. Absolutely. To, um, really make a lot of steps down that path. And in doing so, I want to go a level higher than most people in my industry and how they're talking about how to do this. Yeah. Most people get very in the weeds, technical, tactical, actionable. That's all good, but they also do it in such a way that's not very enduring. It's very brittle. It's yeah. here's how to make a really great reel right now. That content is not going to be relevant six months from now. Mm -hmm. And it might, you know, stack the deck, build the audience so that other things can do well, but there still needs to be like an, an other thing. So I'm thinking more about enduring content, especially in the world of a book. Uh, I've recently really started to understand the, the value of intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So I think about IP a lot, unique IP that I can build that young, ambitious people 
who are willing to outwork me at this point, they will leverage my ideas and I will continue to accrue benefit from their work, leveraging my ideas, as opposed to just continuing to try to outwork the competition. I'm married tomorrow. I'm going to have two dogs and, uh, we'll eventually have kids. Like I'm not trying to work as much as I'm working right now forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that doesn't mean that I don't want to continue to grow and have a big impact. We only get one of these lives, obviously. So I've been hustle, hustle, hustle to build a machine that supports me and my family and provides me that agency. Now I feel like that goal is pretty well accomplished and I want to expand the scope of what I'm doing with my time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I appreciate that answer. And that's, that's kind of why I asked that question was at this point, it's like, you've scaled it to a point where, I mean, you doubled your revenue this year, which is astounding. So by the way, congratulations on that. Um, it's, it's, it's massive. And, and, I, and I'll say as well to, to say a part of that is you definitely, for me, at least you're in that first stage of, of people that I look to when it comes to anything creator, um, in any capacity. So hundred percent, hundred percent. And so with that, like doubling your revenue within one year, which is astounding to begin with, but what, what do you think contributed most to that? And then also what beliefs did you have to let go of in order to be able to do that? The shortest, most honest answer is that my income doubled because of the introduction of one new product, actually. So, you know, that's easy to say. You can write, I can make infinite numbers of products and they're not all going to go well. So the insight was really like, I created a product that had good fit with my audience in the market and um, was good enough that the people who purchased it told other people to purchase it, you know? Um, that's like the shortest, most honest answer. But I also, I, I took a lot of forward steps last year. Like in the beginning, when you have the short time horizons, you're thinking about this week's newsletter, this week's podcast, today's post on Instagram. Definitely. All of that became uh, um, inevitable, non-negotiable. That's just like the fodder that keeps the wheel turning. Definitely. I wanted to build a bigger wheel. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of forward steps this past year to build a, a, a more resilient machine around everything that I was doing. Uh, so that really, I think we have a really strong foundation to, to scale the whole operation. If some major account called me out tomorrow and I saw an influx of attention and customers, I would be able to handle it. A lot of creators, like they haven't built something to handle volume. Um, mm -hmm. now I think I didn't start the smartest way. Like I really, I tried to build too much all at once. Definitely. And even now, like I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. I have the podcast, I have the newsletter, I have YouTube, I have Instagram. Even I shouldn't be on all those things. Nobody should be on all those things as an individual. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I feel like I've backed myself into a corner because my business isn't supporting creators who are on all those things. So I feel like I need a working knowledge of them. If that were not the case, 100% should focus in smaller areas and do one thing really, really well. You're going to build a bigger business more quickly that way. But I didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'll say I'm doing the same thing, doing the same thing. I, you made a tweet on it a little bit ago and I was like, man, I wish, wish I took that into perspective myself. It's, I think that's what us creators want to do. We always want to spread ourselves too thin because we, we see all this opportunity and there's, there's so much to take up. Well, I, it's a, it's a comparison and a modeling thing. Definitely. Like we were often naive. Have you heard of the Denning Kruger effect? seems like something you've probably heard of. Yeah. Yep. So for people listening who haven't heard of it, Dunning-Kruger effect is the more ignorant you are on a topic, the more confident you are that you know a lot about it. And yep. the more you know about a topic, the more you realize that you know very little about that topic. <laughs> yeah. So early on, we're all blissfully ignorant, think we're not far away from these people that we're seeing with big accounts that we're modeling after. And so we say, oh, wow, this person is on all these platforms and doing all these things, that's what a successful business like theirs look like. And we try to do it all at once, not realizing that they are on year six, seven, eight, nine, ten of this. They have way more resources, both in terms of 
financial resources and human capital, right? Probably hired. And so we, we just have a false understanding of what one person should and can do. Uh, and you gotta, you gotta find different models, but it's hard to find models at your stage because you are not as visible as these people. Neither are other people at that stage. So it's, it's a really hard thing to wrap your head around early on, but I do try to like share that message to help people say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a student of TikTok. I'm a consumer of TikTok. TikTok is enough for me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, if you, if you go into a, a semester of school and your goal is to get straight A's, would you rather take one class or five classes? What's going to be easier to get straight A's? If you focus on one class, like it's going to be way easier for you. Sure. It's theoretically as possible to, to master all of these things. So much easier to master one with the time that you have. Definitely true. Definitely true. And I, w- I want to, because you've been in it for so long and I, I go back to this so much because I think that the time horizon that you've been in it for, for such an expansive time gives you the credibility to kind of answer this question. And it's over how long you've been doing it. You've released a lot of things. You've done so much content and you, you have multiple products in, in so many different aspects. What do you believe allows you to disconnect yourself from your results? Sometimes I don't, I, ideally I would all the time. Uh, I did at the beginning of this journey in 2017 work with a coach and mm-hmm. his whole perspective is around, uh, identity yeah. and that we should not identify with our work. It does not define us. It is not us. It is not our value. And that did help me a lot at the time. And that's always been there as a reminder, but, uh, often, uh, I do still conflate the two. Um, Awareness, self-awareness is the antidote, I think. And most of the time I have that, but it doesn't mean that there aren't moments of weakness and time where that judgment lapses. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going through a couple of repetitions where the, the work that you're doing is no longer part of your world where you realize, oh, but like, I'm still doing my stuff. It's easier when you've, when you've had like these seasons of life where you're doing different projects and uh, they come and go and you realize that you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really big impact. That's a lot of what I, I go through my clients is that identity work. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, Tom Billy, one of my favorite quotes of all time is all that matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Like the work's everything. And, and, and especially when you're an entrepreneur, it's really, really difficult to disconnect yourself from that. But at the end of the day, if you don't see yourself in a good light, nothing else really matters. Like you said, time's going to pass whether we, we do it or not. I mean, let's say some people that are listening, they're maybe not, they're maybe not creators, but as we know, there's so much possibility to create leverage online. How would you really like, if there was a few steps that people could go through to whether it's building out a product or creating leverage or uh, building a brand, what would that look like? It's a long game and it's a war of attrition. Most people uh, who start give it up quickly because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. So you gotta, you gotta tune into where your natural energy and curiosity and interest is. Yeah. You know, uh, my wife has an Instagram for our dog and blown up. She just does it because she likes doing it. You know, she's not trying to make a living as a creator with our dog's Instagram, but you better believe she gets excited when we get some like free stuff in the mail. Loves Definitely. it. It's amazing. That opportunity is available to everybody. Uh, but you, you still, even if you're not trying to do it full time, like the only way you're going to consistently do it and want to get better is if it's somewhere that is energy giving, you enjoy it. You, you would do it whether you're making money or not. And like, that's really how I would simplify it at this point is find something that is like that for you. And if you have the hunger to get better every day, you're going to figure out the rest of those steps along the way. But it really has to start with something that you are really interested in. And if you're consistent with it and you like doing it, then you should start thinking about how do I differentiate myself from the other stuff that's out there like this? Mm-hmm. And how do I do that in a way where my effort today compounds and gives me future leverage against new competition? That's kind of next level thinking. Again, I wouldn't do that until the work you're doing becomes inevitable. Right. Uh, yeah, that's my approach. 
No, I really like that answer. I really, really like that answer because from my first initial investment in myself was essentially becoming a coach. And that investment was definitely a lot for a 17 year old. And I know many, many people that were in the same program as me that got all the same information, all of it that are not going still. And I started in about 2021 and it's like, I'm this podcast alone. Like I said, I was excited to hop on this podcast. I get so much energy from this podcast. I've made nothing from this podcast. And it's like, I would do this if I made no money, if I could talk to all my people that I really look up to in a lot of ways and I can learn something from, and then also help other people in the process. So I think that at the end of the day, having that internal knowing that you're not doing it for the wrong reasons, but you're doing it. If nothing were to happen, you'd still be doing it is the, is the right reason to do it. I really, really like that, that answer. Yeah. I mean, when we're kids, we start things because we're interested in them and we're bad at it and we don't care. But the older you get, the less tolerant people are of being bad at things. But like, that's just part of the process. Anything you've never done, you start out as bad. So you need to remember that a necessary part of getting good is consistently being bad for a while. And it's just, it's just the way it is. Most people are just unwilling to do something because they know they'll be bad at it. And of course you will. And that's okay. And that's a part of the process. And if you're not willing to be bad at it, you'll never be good at it. So, so true. I, I, I don't remember what this quote is from, but like looking back, as you can probably tell, I bring up so many quotes so many times, but looking back, if you're not cringing at what your old content or who you used to be a few years ago was, you're not growing enough. You're not, you're not doing enough. I can look back on my content from when I started and I'm, I look back and definitely, definitely cringe on what it was looking like prior, but I was able to look like a fool and not really know what that looks like. Do you think perfectionism is something that, well, I I know perfectionism is something that's, that holds a lot of people back. How, How do you get past that, that perfectionism, or even say it comes to building out a product or building something online? How are you able to get past that uh, that inner critic that pops up for you. It's tough. Um, I still have certain standards I hold myself to, but you get enough, uh, you get enough repetitions. You realize that perfection is a myth because what feels perfect very soon you realize was not perfect. So Mm -hmm. if the thing you make is never going to be perfect, there's, there's nothing, there is no perfect. You know, exactly. so it's, it's, it's better to get it out there. I have gotten myself into a good rhythm of, uh, shipping what I believe is an MVP, a minimally viable version of something mm-hmm. that meets my minimum quality standards. Because again, having something out in public that I know could be better is a real motivator for me to make it better quickly. Definitely. So I, I use shipping of not quite ideal state things so that I will make it better pretty quickly. I really like that perspective. It kind of comes back to that accountability again, right? Do, do you work with, or have you ever experienced that accountability or is there any like real, anything that's really stood out for you that's had the biggest impact on you being able to not only just consistently show up, but consistently be able to grow, like whether it's revenue or on your, your, your brand or whatever that comes down to. Yeah. I, um, I keep really good records and, um, you know, I have a pretty in-depth spreadsheet where I track KPIs on a ton of different things, a bunch of different metrics on my business on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And I share those metrics with members of my community. Yeah. Yeah. So it would feel scary and embarrassing to me if I show up to these people and I say, here are my numbers and here are my goal numbers and here's what I'm going to do. And then the next month I show up and didn't do anything to try to make that thing real. So again, it's, it's a lot of, I do find, uh, motivation from external sources. You know, I don't necessarily need external validation, but I do get external motivation. Uh, and I find that it's just effective for me. So I lean into it. Like I have such a fear of failure that I will often put myself in situations to fail because I know that I rise to the occasion. So I'm just like playing this game of chicken with myself all the time. Uh, and it works. So I keep doing it. <laughs> I really love that perspective. And, and, and as a coach and, and, and working with coaches, it's what I found is really helpful for me too. I think most people crave that external accountability because at the end of the day, 
most of us put off the work. Most of us are going to find a way to procrastinate it. And if we don't use social media or a someone else to hold us accountable, we're likely going to stay where we are. And, and so I'm curious for you, well, this might be a, a question for me, a little bit selfish, but if you could tell your 18 year old self something, what would you tell them? I would go back to that idea of, uh, you got to ask for things and you got to believe in yourself. It's hard to, most advice is bad because most advice is people's own path that yeah. they're sharing with you and trying to, um, validate after the fact, you know, to say like, this is what I did. And so this must be right. I'm going to feel better about myself if I tell you that's what it is. Most advice is bad for that reason, but also it's just hard to have people feel the weight of truth without firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. So I would try to find a way to illustrate stories are powerful, um, illustrate the power of belief and probably as part of like teaching them, try to show them again, like you wanted this, this person wanted it, this person got it. Why did they get it? Probably because they believe that they should, or because they asked for it. So I, I would, that's, that's really what I wish I would have learned sooner. I really, really like that. I really, really like that. Do you, th is there any, um, and is there any books or blog posts or resources or anything that, that have stood out to you that have had that, that really shifted your perspective, whether it's in your business or the way that you, you know, maneuver through life? The best book I've ever read and continue to recommend is how to win friends and influence people by yeah. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. That's had more of an impact on me than anything else. There are books that like in seasons of life were really powerful. Um, when I was starting this, this freelancing journey and doing the group coaching, I read the prosperous coach. Yeah. That was a really good book on sales. Sales are just like, I mean, the concept of sales is one of the most transferable skills that's that you can learn. Hundred percent. Um, so I, I, that's something that like, I want to teach to my kids and I would want people to understand sooner because you're selling all the time. Uh, gotta sell yourself. A lot easier to sell when you have belief, you know? So that's why, that's why having a good product you believe in is so much easier to sell than some bullshit. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other books, but honestly, I'm not a major reader. Mm. I'm not, I want to be more of a reader. I want to identify more as a reader. Yeah. Um, but I'm just not. I know that the, the lifestyle that you're trying to create is that lifestyle of an author. Uh, I've mm -hmm. done a right. So if, if books haven't been your main source of, of learning, I know podcasts have been big for me, of course, listening to yours, but what has stood out for you that's allowed you to really iterate along that journey? Yeah, it is. There's no reason that I shouldn't like books. I'm a slow reader. So yeah. it's been historically challenging for me to, to, um, make a case for why I should spend my limited time making limited progress in a written book. I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. I mean, the way that I learn is through other people's firsthand experience and books are mostly that, mm. but I do find almost as much value in podcasts. Now it's less, it's less prepared for you. Like there's, there's more interpretation you have to do in podcasts and mm -hmm. more filtering and it's honestly less efficient too, because books have been highly edited and, and uh, moved into those formats. But, you know, most things that I want to learn are kind of just in time. I probably should have more of a lens for like uh, general wisdom that comes from books, but most books are making a case for some specific view. And I can get that pretty quickly and decide whether I, hold that view or not. I don't need like 200 pages of confirmation bias. So I don't know. <laughs> no, that, it, it's, it's definitely, it like, definitely makes a lot of sense. I like stories. I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy watching TV. You know, it's not like a, it's not like an intellectual thing to say, but watching TV series where there's a plot and a narrative, I don't, I don't mean like reality TV so much, although I do love yeah. watching like the bachelor that is fun, mindless stuff. Most of the time I love watching narrative character development because i watch it as a producer i get to see the the production decisions that yeah. people had and how they're setting things up and how they're revealing information 
it's it's more of a study for me in that way to become a better artist, a better producer. Right. I can do a lot of learning very quickly. Uh, and usually there are tighter explanations than a book. I find that people, a lot of people who are big learners, big book readers, they're doing it for entertainment in some ways. That's just Fair. not my favorite method of entertainment. No, I really like, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because uh, I, when I started my personal development journey, it was like, I'm going to read all the books. So I have all the knowledge realized that uh, I don't remember who said it, but it's not reading the whole book, but it's reading what you need from the book is what's most important. Yeah. I, I will say on, on my recent vacation, I finally cracked open uh tribe of mentors, Tim Ferriss's book, yeah, yeah. which is a total hack of writing a book, by the way, like sent a template of 11 questions and had people answer it and then compiled it into a book. Incredible idea. But like, that is exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like high signal, tight explanations from really great people and a ton of them in one sitting, you know, any one of those people quoted in uh tribe of mentors could have written their own 200 to 300 page book and gotten a publishing deal and published it. And I wouldn't have gotten nearly the same value in the amount of time that it would have taken me to read their books. So it, that was really good. I thought. Yeah. Some of the best books, atomic habits. So like so many other books came from blog posts. So it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. We can, if we can condense it, it's, 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 it's better, especially for people like you, where you're, you have a lot of things going on. If you're, especially if you're a slow reader, it's like, there's too many things I need to do for this to take up that much time. So yeah. the, the last question I like to ask is what belief are you currently unlearning? I've thought about this recently and I guess one thing that's quick to mind is, um, I kind of alluded to it earlier. There are a lot of parts of my life and my creative work and the things that need to happen in the business that I thought had to be me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm unlearning is there are smaller zones of genius or unfair advantage that I have that if I can really leverage that it's better to hire other people who are better at those things or have the potential to become better at those things. Mm -hmm. I, I I'm really learning to let go of things for the purpose of being able to have a bigger impact. Uh, and part of that was an identity thing of like, I wanted all of that. I thought I had to do all of it for me to be able to say that I'm like a independent creator, but you don't. Yeah. And I think you have, you have too much skill at too many zones of genius to put more on your plate. Right. So, I mean, and you're at the point where you scaled so much, it's like, it's, it's almost inevitable to get to the point where other people should take over low income tasks that you shouldn't really be probably focusing on. Right. Yeah. For those that would like to follow along, all your links will be in the, in the, in the show notes, but where can they find you, Jay? I'm hard to avoid. If you search my name on wherever you like <laughs> to hang out, uh, you'll find me there. Amen. Um, you're Amen. a podcast listener. So check out creative elements. I think you'll really like it. And otherwise just find me, Jay Klaus, wherever you're hanging out. Awesome. My friend, I truly, truly appreciate you for coming on the show and we're off. Thanks James. Awesome. Thank